0: Thank you. everybody welcome back to episode 99 get another one of the balanced blues brothers podcast so far today it's going to be the two travises to break down the last two matches in the premier league for chelsea respectively uh, at arsenal and then at bournemouth and you know arsenal was the midweek uh, match and then we have bournemouth yesterday um so we're recording this sunday or uh late morning us time so Overall, I mean, I missed uh, the first half of the Arsenal match and then got to come home and, and watch some of the second half. And, you know, I thought the second half was still pretty bad, um, but I guess it was a hell of a lot better than the first half. Um, and then, you know, we also, I think in the weekend you know, against Bournemouth, yeah, we got the three to one win. But I really don't think if you were just to show somebody the box score of the match, I don't think that that really is going to tell the full tale. I think there's a lot more about that one um, in terms of, yes, there were a lot more positives, but I think there were still a lot of uh, concerning negatives that I saw from that match. And and mean, we'll get into it, but specifically with Bournemouth, I think defensively we really are struggling um, to, to counter transitions in that a middle third. And I think we're really struggling defensively in that final third and we'll get into some of those me and Travis have talked about them this morning and some, some group chats. So maybe we'll get some more of that uh, extended into this episode, but you know, it's fine. It's great that we finally, a, we scored, we scored a goal in two matches in a row. I mean, that feels like a win at this point. Um, I think the other positives combined from the two matches is that we, we saw Mudrik come on in the arsenal match and in 19 minutes, create more chances than any other Chelsea player did the entire match. And then conversely, we have Nani Madueke who is starting to get a, a bit of a run in this team. And he looks like one of the most dangerous one V one players that we've had on the right side for quite some time. Uh, In terms of his take on ability is one V ones is dribbling. And this is again, something else that me and Travis talked about. We'll get into it. It seems that if we can get the right profile of, of players around Madiweke, that he's going to have a a great ability to take people on one V one, get into that space as he beats them and have options, hopefully to deliver into the box. Because right now, we could have those, but we just don't seem to have the people that are the right personnel to kind of play a center-forward role, and there's really not many options available in the box. So I, those would be my two standouts from this. Um, I think body of Shile also, we're starting to see why this guy, you know, was purchased and was such a good talent. He, he's starting to look really good, and a good, an important factor about body of Shile is that he came in after many matches, either out of the squad or on the bench comes right in and looks, looks great, which is something that a lot of our players have failed to do for years now. Um, so I, I think that's really, really positive uh, for body Sheila, knowing that a, he doesn't just have to be put in the lineup 90% of the time to produce and that we can kind of, you know, not only have that rotational ability, but we have somebody that we're building forward uh, to a starter. So Travis, I'll let you get some of your thoughts on the matches together. Um, and then we'll kind of we'll kind of just keep cut, discussing from
1: there, right? So, the Arsenal game I turned off after we conceded, and I couldn't even tell you the last time I did that. But as soon as it happened, I was like, I'd, I'd rather go play Jedi Survivor. This is a waste of my time. Um, I mean, Obama Yang, I don't, and I don't have the exact stat, but he like had nine touches on the ball in the half he played, and like six of them were from kickoffs. Or something crazy, it wouldn't be that many. But like most of his touches were through the kickoffs, and that's ridiculous. And he was hauled off at halftime for Kai Hogwarts. And you know, we've been harsh on Kai. Kai doesn't impress me at all. But like, you know, how do we mess like the Obama Yang transfer up so much? Or how do we just mess up in general, like our entire last summer's worth of transfers so badly? And like. It's just lingering issues, right? You know, we get brought in so many players for one manager and then fired him right away, and there's probably a reason to that that we still don't really know. But, like, you brought in all these players for this guy, and now another guy came in and had to deal with all these players, and you gave him even more players to deal with. And now we're on our third manager this season who, you know, I love Lampard, but, like, right now he, he looks confused. Like, he looks like he has no idea how to set us up. And I don't think that's necessarily his fault. Like, I think he set up, set us up much, much better during his first Chelsea stint. And even like Everton last year, in the early parts of this year, I thought he did fine with how he set things up. But we're just so miserable with everything we do right now that any tiny little issue is just highlighted even more. And, you know, it you're playing Arsenal, and in a title race. And the last time we did something like this against a North London rival, like we had the Battle of the Bridge and we went two down and we immediately roared back. Not immediately roared back, but we roared back and effectively we stopped them from winning the title. We had none of that this time against Arsenal. There was we conceded and there was no part of me that thought, "All right, we're going to at least draw this." Or we have the players that will like have some part and, you know, stop them from continuing their title race. Like, there's none of that, because we're just pathetic right now. And, you know, I watched the Bournemouth game in its entirety, and we scored first, and I was like, I might be dreaming. And then we conceded, and it was level, and I was like, all right, well, here we go. We're going to lose to Bournemouth. People won't stop talking about a relegation that's, like, one in a million chance of happening. And, like, our squad's just going to capitulate again. But for... For their part against Bournemouth, we at least held on. It wasn't pretty all the time, but we held on. We kept scoring. And, you know, I don't think we're going to build on this because there's nothing to build on right now other than misery. But, you know, it was at least like a light in the dark for the first time. Like if we had lost to Bournemouth, it would have been two months since our last win which is a crazy idea to have about any team because like you can stumble upon a win here and there. I'm sure you could look at any team below us in the table and they've had more wins in 2 months. And it's you know it's just like all these little factors that have built up over the season and they just keep highlighting the negatives. You know there are positives of course, you know like बायदेक is he's still very raw but his ability to find space on the right was awesome. And, you know, if you had Reese James with him, it would be even better, honestly. Um, you know, Badia Shile is awesome. And it's ridiculous that he hasn't played more in these dead rubber games. Um, you know, Enzo kind of faded a little bit, but he's coming, he's he's still very good. There's definitely a good player there if we can get him the right partner and everything. You know, Mudrik... I still think is also kind of raw, but like he has that hazard ability to kinda of turn a game on its head when you don't really expect it. And like these are the little things that we need to build on, not like playing a Yang against Arsenal or you know, hoping Cucurella actually comes good one day. Like, you know, now that we have finally guaranteed our safety in the league, which was a stupid, bittersweet feeling to have. After the Bournemouth game, but now that we have finally guaranteed that we are safe, maybe now we can stop playing the guys we know don't really have a future with us. And maybe now we can start because, like, the rest of the games don't matter officially. Nothing matters. Like, we've said that before. Now it's legit. We're not going down. The prize money we're going to get is going to be, you know, it doesn't matter the difference in it, no matter where we place. We're not going to make Conference League even. So let's have fun with it. You know, like, let's keep playing body issue. Like, let's keep playing Maduake and Mudrik. And, you know, anyone else, like, play of Vavana more. Like, just use this opportunity that we have to blood some players and see, like, if next season they have a potential pathway under, hopefully, a potential new manager. Because, like, again, I love Lampard, and maybe... Under the right circumstances, he could do a lot better, but those circumstances are terrible, and they make him worse, and it just becomes this spiraling out.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- and that's that's the truth about Lampard. I think you're right. Um, I think we all want to root for the guy, but it's just woefully apparent that he is not. I, I mean, it, it's not just the results, and and this is. This is not me, and I know how the fan base reacts. for For anybody that might be listening to to the discussion on Lampard, and and I get it, right? I'm, I mean, there's a fucking, there's I have a fucking poster of the guy hanging up on my wall right over here that you can't see. It's not that I dislike him or anything like that, but I think you're right, and and I've said this to some. There's a lot of like a lot of the people I know in terms of coaches. I mean, it's kind of just embarrassing at this point. It really is it's embarrassing that a guy that it's just, like you said, maybe under better circumstances, he does a lot better. Like he did in in his first premier league season, but man, it's just, it's almost embarrassing that he, he, he has at this point in the last, I don't know, 18 months, he's basically rivaled Franck De Boer as the worst manager of like the last 10 years in the premier league. I mean, he, he, there's some other guys I, that have been terrible. I too. mean,
1: I was an Atlanta United fan. I was an Atlanta United fan when Frank was the manager. Yeah. And like in hindsight, it wasn't as miserable as it felt like at the time, but it was still pretty awful. So, you know, now it feels like a different kind of awful because like we're not winning like Frank DeBoer was doing half the time. So, like, I just have bad luck with friends. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe you'll get
0: Lombard next in, in Atlanta. I don't know. But uh, I, you know, it's just. <sighs> It's just tough. I think Lampard, what he needed to do, he should have done a lot of different things differently in his managerial career. He should have taken the John Terry approach or the Steven Gerrard approach, where he's not going to just immediately go into a high-profile job. I mean, you can, I don't know if people really know the history of this or how it came to be, but Lampard got the job at Derby because, um, I'll just call it honestly, we will call it for what it is. He got it because of nepotism, Right. Harry made some calls to Derby, had some friends in the had some friends around in higher places around there, and pretty much pulled the right strings to get Frank the job. And 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 he did okay at Derby. I mean, he did fine at Derby. He comes here in his first year at Chelsea, but it's just gone wrong ever since. And the guy needs to take a step back and and take some lesser you know a lesser profile job if he's going to have any chance at management because there's just a lot of structural problems with how he lines up. But, but to kind of continue your point, we, we just got Jordan in on this. uh, So he's going to join us. Maybe I'll hop in here later, but uh, kind of continuing your point, Travis, about, you know, the fact of none of this matters anymore. So why don't we just, why don't we just start, you know, trying to have some fun with this and see what we have for the next guy and for the future. And I, and I completely agree with you. There's no point to continue a squad build or a squad, Match day around thirty nine year old Silva. He and this is going to piss a lot of people off, and it always does on Twitter when I say this kind of stuff. Um, it never fails. But like Silva doesn't fit. There's no there's no advantage short or long term at this point to playing Thiago Silva. He can't play a high press. He we have to. He physically has to play further back in the line because he doesn't have the recovery pace. So either he if he plays further forward, somebody else is always constantly having to worry about that space in behind him. But let's just let's just t- not even talking about the on-field limitations of his play and where we're at. I would rather just talk about this from a general squad planning argument which is we are clearly targeting a, tw- a 21 to 25 year old player. That's what our transfer activity's been. Hell, it's even as young as 17, 17 to 25. And really within the 25s, we haven't really targeted any of those since Tuchel was around. So it's even a little younger than that. So when when you're doing that from a squad building standpoint, you're obviously not building to win tomorrow uh, in, in terms of the following season. You're trying to get a, a lot of guys together, build together. And in a few years when they're starting to peak or getting closer to their peaks – that's when you're really looking to see the effect of what you're building and, and get a good idea of if this is successful or not. However, if you continue to play a thirty, a late 30-year-old guy and you can continue to keep him around, and there, if he's not really in the John Terry 2016-2017 role, which is, yeah, you're in the team, but your role is much more to be as a, an auxiliary coach to kind of, basically in inbed sort of the culture of the club at the same time from a, a, a key character figure that's not just the manager if he's not going to be in that role then there is no short-term and or long-term advantage anymore like we we should have moved on from Thiago Silva yet we were paralyzed by the inability to just make these hard decisions oh he's Thiago he's so good we can't no, we can be fine just without him. I think we're just fine without Silva at this point. He's had three years here. He's been very good for us. But every player is going to leave. And, and this guy is playing at an age that really no Premier League center back has done that I can mention. In my, I can't even think of anybody that's 39 years old and played at this level in the Premier League. So it's okay if it's time to move on. I, I think it was always, whenever we initially signed this guy, everybody thought it would be a one-year move. A one-year move. Into a three year move, and what it's done is it's blocked the likes of Badia Shile, Fafana, Chalaba. It's blocked those people from having more established roles in the team. And when I and when you point back to what I just said of how we're building and who we're building with, and the profiles, those are the profile and center backs we need to be giving the minutes to, not the 39 year old. So, I think, I mean, I think that's really Travis, like what you're saying. Let's play the guys that are going to not just offer fun, but see what they have. Well, I think that that inherently means that we need to start phasing out these older guys. I think Kovacic is one that probably needs to go. It looks – and I love Mateo Kovacic. He's one of my favorite players the last several years we've had in the team. I'm a big fan of him, but I think he's got to go. We've got to see more of what we have in, in other areas or just simply play like Ruben and hopefully somebody really likes what they see and gazumps a bunch of money for him this offseason. Might be what happens to Connor Gallagher based upon how he's been playing – more recently as well. But we got about, we got a few more minutes on this one. So with Jordan just getting in, um, Jordan, we've kind of just been discussing the positives, negatives of the last two matches um, and kind of have gotten in more of a, a squad building discussion in general based upon how we should be using these younger players going forward within in the remaining four meaningless games we have this season so I'll let you get some of your thoughts in on this
2: yeah I mean so I went to the Brentford game right I was at the Brentford match in person I just want to hop on the Silva thing because that second goal was 100% Silva's fault Silva in a back four presses too high and he expects the other defenders to cover for him so in the Brentford match it was the exact same thing as the goal born with scored yesterday Silva stepped up to press. Fofana then got caught in a three v one, and Fofana at that in the Brentford match went to his left to c- cover two of the guys. Silva didn't react right and started running face towards goal to catch up, and was just out of position. Then he yelled at Fofana, which I think was probably a communication thing. But it's the the right. It is the point where Silva no longer can play like he used to, in a back four. And if he is going to try to play that way, that means every other defender has to cover for him. We saw that yesterday against Bournemouth. I, like, at this point, if Posh comes in and says, you know what, I really want to play 3 four, two, one then, yeah, I'd be fine keeping Silva, because I think is that central center back, where, frankly, he doesn't need to move much. He's pretty good. And, like, yeah, you can't press as high, but if your other two center backs can press high, you'll be fine. Uh, I just, I like, I, to me, Silva's a guy, if he's willing to accept a bit-part role, great. If not, move him on. Same with Aspie. Like, it seems like Aspie's willing to accept a bit-part role, great. If he wants to play more, move him on. Kovacic, what, if he wants to play more, move him on. Like, I, I don't see, I, I get what, right, part of this is you also want to win games. I get why Lampard brought Ziek on yesterday, and I have no issue with that. It worked. Like, at some level, you want to win games. Ziek's not going to start, though, and he shouldn't start. Right, and to me, like, it is absurd. It is absurd to me that it has taken so long to see Mudric, Madueke, Havertz as a front three. It's absurd. There's something ridiculous about that. Like, people can say what they want about Havertz. I, I don't think anybody's going to pay for him what would make it a worthwhile transfer this summer. He's young. He every year has a month or two where he looks good. I, I think he's going to be on the team next year. So I want to play him. For everybody's criticisms of Connor Gallagher, Connor Gallagher is probably a player of the season in my mind. Like I like, look at the data. I, I I really like just as from a data perspective, he's created more chances than any of our players. I think he has more tackles and interceptions than any of our players. Like, I think he's a player of the season. I don't. I, maybe Gallagher gets sold. I think one of Gallagher or Mount will get sold, but the other one's going to be here and. At this point, like, I don't have a problem with Frank starting Conor Gallagher. Great. Let's see what he can do. Right? Badia Shile. Like, I don't – I think we've only once seen Badia Shile and Fofana start together. And I don't think we've seen them start together with Chilwell, if, I, if I'm correct on that one. Like, th- these are just things. Like, our long-term pieces haven't played together, and now they finally are. And, like, I mean – Everybody was mad about the Arsenal result. I really thought the second half against Arsenal, like our attack started to figure things out. And I think we saw that against Bournemouth. But part of it is just the young guys were playing together. They haven't played together before. So I guess I'll end my rant there. But like, I think Lampard's a pretty bad manager. Like, I, I, I but beyond that, I don't understand. Like, communication things aren't on Lampard so I don't understand Silva's frustration. And I'll say, like, one thing I think Lampard did his first run here is just played the young guys. And, like, I am not saying play only young guys. I think there are players that, like, Angola Conte I think, should be starting. He's playing really well when he's starting. He gives us that veteran presence in the midfield. Like, I don't have an issue with that. I don't have an issue with, like, if Lampard wants to start another player, like, two players that have been robbed for a while. But, like, there are players. I'm not asking for Harvey Vale. That's absurd. I'm just asking, like, why does Aspie come in instead of Lewis Hall? Right? Like, that's what I want to see. Why did it take so long to start Mooderick and Mataway What, what so That's wrong.
0: Yeah. I just wanted to pick, I'll let you keep going there, but like, what happened to Lewis Hall? Like, he started against Liverpool at Anfield and looked ostensibly one of our better players in that match, and then literally has just been outcast ever since then and never, never to be seen again.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know people keep saying, Oh, well, it's because he's a midfielder. I like maybe he is a midfielder. I know that's what he's played at the Academy, but his frame is a left back is actually outstanding. He is very strong and he's big. It like, I mean this in a good way. I don't mean this in a bad way. It gives me like Marcus Alonso vibes and just Hall's ability to hold up play like from wing back. That's really, yeah. I think he should be playing like if, Chillwell's really out. I'm going to be disappointed if Asplund went to starting the left back. Is is,
0: is Cucurella done too? Uh,
2: unclear. It looks like he is going to come back at some point, but he's still recovering.
0: Okay, I didn't even know he was hurt to be honest with you. But yeah, it wouldn't make any sense to. I mean, Chillwell's probably going to get shut down, and you know, continually has injury problems. But yeah, I I think all of us are kind of saying the same similar things. You know, let, let's let's just actually start seeing people that not necessarily just play the youth. We're not just going to roll out the U23 lineup next time, but can we see more of it? Can we see more sprinkling of it? Can we, can we at least try to determine who is viable and who's not from a squad's planning standpoint? And if they're not viable right now, do we think they can be viable with future development and or loans? We need to start answering those questions because those questions are more pertinent uh, answers that we're going to have to produce the rest of the season than anything else that we're going to do will be. So I think that progression has to happen these last four matches now that we're mathematically safe from relegation. And with us now mathematically safe from relegation, thanks to the win on the South Coast against Bournemouth. And I, I don't know, for, for some of you that are a little more you know long-memory uh, long, long memory fans or been around a little bit longer, you probably remember in 2015, 2016, which, are, which is like our last terrible season, everything was going wrong and like Hazard couldn't like kick a ball into the back of the net the entire season. And then we rocked up to Bournemouth that mat, that year, also in white uniforms, uh, another similarity, and just kicked the shit out of them like four to one. It was like our best performance of the entire season. Um, so it kind of reminded me of that in some ways, but then in other ways it did not. And I'll get to that. We'll let you guys get your thoughts. But I thought that, yeah, it was good we won, but geez, do not let that performance fool you that we're a, a good team because the first twenty minutes, we were just getting carved up by Bournemouth. Uh, we in the middle in defensive thirds, we we had no answer. I mean, literally, their buildup build up from the kickoff was a shot attempt that was really good. And and the problem with it, I saw specifically in our defensive areas, was that and it wasn't just one moment or a couple moments. It was like routinely in the first twenty minutes, it looked like Bournemouth were like shot out of a cannon. How fast they were running at our defense, and we're just flat footed with nobody really sure of which zone they're supposed to step into to close the ball down. It, it was, it was bad. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you it, that I was watching. and I was like every single time Bournemouth get the ball their their buildup play when they, when they turn it over or whatever, it's on the right side. They're clearly targeting and Silva and it worked. I mean, I thought the first half they were just as good as us, if not better. And in the second half, I thought that, yeah, they didn't get the goals, but they controlled that match for a good first 20 minutes of the second half. So I don't think the 3-1 scoreline tells the whole story at all. I mean, even when – Bournemouth were great at this, and I think it highlights how weak the right side was in this match in the back line. I mean, even when they would do a left side strong – a left side overload, when they switch every time – that build up on the on the on the left side overload ended with a switch or a cross to the right side almost every time, looking for somebody to just beat Chalaba and Silva. It it, it was it, it was it was a pattern, right? That was clearly what I noticed from how they wanted to attack us. And that's not too dissimilar to what's been going on, right? Our right side is very weak when Reese James is gone, when when Fafan is not playing. We have a weaker right side and Bournemouth exploited it and they exploited it very well. Um I think they could have had a couple other goals. Kepa had some very good saves um, it, that, that, that saved us from, you know, having more in the back of the net. So I, I was encouraged offensively by the performance on the South coast, but defensively it was more of these concerns. It, it really was. It shows that when we try to play, I mean, outside of Lompard's, what, three seven zero formation where we just put everybody behind the ball and, and try to just I don't know, stand around for 90 minutes, and which is fine. I can understand if you're trying to soak up pressure, park the bus, that kind of stuff. But when you're parking the bus with no intent behind to even counter, it's a whole other story. It was better than what we had seen previously because we actually like played attackers this this match against Dor- Bournemouth instead of Gallagher being the only attacker, I guess, and Conte, whatever that is, was in those some of those other matches. Like, I'm sorry, Jordan, you had to sit through like attend the board, the Brentford match. That was pathetic. But uh, yeah, I still think that despite the score, then three points being safe, more positives offensively. I still thought a lot of the negatives were there. And it just this time we were on the right side of regression where we got away with some of our, of our mistakes. But I don't think if we play that way again, I mean, against United or city, they're going to rip us up defensively and it's going to come down to, can we score two to three goals to win this match as opposed to one or two. I mean, we're going to have to score multiple goals if we play that way defensively to get a point out of a match going forward. So, awesome, we got a win, but still see a lot of reasons to be concerned. And I know, Jordan, you'll probably talk about Enzo in the middle. And I'm going to – I've got a lot of questions there, too. Why in the world was he dropping to split between the center backs? That is not his role. Or at least it's his role right now. But I think it was clear as day on this podcast, at least, that the, the, the Enzo replacing Jorginho was always a strange uh, argument, and we never really bought into it. So to see him doing these kinds of things, I just really hope this is not what we're going to do with this player long term. And I hope it's just a necessity right now that he's doing these things. I'll let you get some uh, some of your thoughts on this, Travis, and then pass over to Jordan, and we can, uh, we can talk a bit more general then after this Bournemouth
1: match. Yeah. <clears throat> so Lampard's been doing that with Enzo the whole time he's been here and it's like it's one of those things that like on paper yeah maybe you would do it cuz you're playing a back four you get Enzo to drop now you got three in the back that's more players the opponent has to press and Enzo's good on the ball and he's good at you know doing those long balls and everything but when you drop Enzo into the back like that you know you're really losing a lot of what makes him special like you know his ability to switch play is much more limited when he has to drop deeper because he's like, he has to play more conservatively because if he doesn't, if he loses the ball, we're in a lot of trouble. So he has to play more conservatively. That is not why you want Enzo. Like you want Enzo to do those like long balls like Fabregas used to do. And, you know, like that really speaks to like, we need someone to pair with Enzo. So he's not the deepest guy. We need someone else to be the deepest guy. So Enzo can get forward and do the stuff that really matters with his abilities. Um, I mean, yeah, then, like, you were talking about them targeting Chalaba and Silva, and, you know, their goal came, basically, because one touch took out four of our players, and, you know, Silva, especially, was just a statue. Like, he watched it. He watched the whole thing happen. And, you know, like, Silva's been awesome, and Silva's carried us for a long time, but, like, We can't – I feel like too many people let themselves be blinded by that because, like, he's not the player he was even, like, a year ago, like, at all. And some of that's the systems he's had to play in because he is limited in certain kind of setups. But, like, I don't know, like, the way he froze on that goal, like, that implies to me, like, another one of those, like, players that is just clocked out completely. Like, this season doesn't matter to anyone. And when it doesn't matter to the players, that's a problem. And, you know, I think there's a lot to criticize Lampard for, but I feel like you can't really paint a full picture of him because so many of the players have just kind of, like, thrown their hands up and, like, all right, I'm here. I'm here so I don't get fined. But other than that, you know, they don't do anything. They're present, but they don't do anything. Um, You know, some of the newer guys that, you know, like, who maybe are concerned, like, oh, I'll be loaned next season if I don't show up. Like, they're turning up. You know, guys like Gallagher, who are, like, kind of on the cusp of being sold, loaned, and kept, they're showing up. But those other guys that don't really have anything to lose, like Silva, or even like Raheem Sterling, like, it shows that they don't really care right now. It's annoying that that has to be the case. And, you know, we should be beating Bournemouth. And I know over the years we've had trouble with Bournemouth. But, like, this year of all, we should really be beating. Them. And our next match is against, uh, who is it against? Forest. Like, we should be beating Forest, right? And then where are we hey, going to get that, points that against? Team, that
0: team is going to be clawing tooth and nail for anything and everything. So do not, I'm not
1: writing them yeah. off. And, and it doesn't matter to us anymore, right? Like, we're safe. And we're not making Europe, so like that game literally doesn't matter to us. So I wouldn't be surprised if you do play these guys that have already clocked out, if they somehow manage to clock out even more. You know? And then our last games are City away, United away, and Newcastle at home. That's zero points the way we're at right now. Like that that's just the reality of the situation. And, you know, like, even the Bournemouth game, we scored three goals, but our XG is 1.35 to Bournemouth's 1.29. So, like, if you believe in XG, or at least understand the concept of it, like, that could have been a much different game very easily. And, like, no, at no point against Bournemouth I, did I feel like we had control of the game to where it would be 3-1. Like, I. Just to
0: quickly say, Trav, not to interrupt you too much, but I was just... Yeah. It's good to... Just, I never looked at the XG. or I actually haven't looked at any of the stats from the Bournemouth game. I only watched it this morning when I woke up. the first thing I did. And it's good to know that all of, like, our visual assessments are being backed up by the XG, that this was actually a very close match that just happened to tip very favorably towards us at the end.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like, again we've we've had the whole XG discussion all year, like with Potter, we'd have really good XG, but we'd never score, and you know it was never unusual with Lampard to have like a lower XG but end up scoring a lot but like that was also what ultimately did Lampard in was you know our XG might be high, but we're not exactly taking high quality shots, and once those players can't get it in the net, those low quality shots look worse and worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, you're not scoring at all. And, again, like none of this really matters right now because we're realistically looking at one more win this season. But wouldn't it be nice if we could put something together? You know, like we talked about earlier, like play some of these younger guys that we know have a chance in the future or we could at least get a good loan with a good performance. But, I don't know. It's just, it's so hard to find, like, anything real about this team right now because there's so many factors that are playing into everything that it's, it's like not even real at the moment, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah. I want to like give Lampard a little bit of credit here. Bournemouth have been on a tear. Like Bournemouth are actually a pretty good team this year, especially since the manager change. Uh, They, they pose a threat that I don't think any other premier league team poses, which is, Their front four are all fucking giants. They are trees, but they are fast. Like, it's a very athletically gifted front four. And I think that is partially why they're on a tear, right? The manager said, okay, well, we're just going to hit early crosses to our giants and see what they do. And they won a lot of games off it. So, like, I don't think Bournemouth is a nobody. I also think Lampard did something Tuchel did a year and a half ago. Right? We saw it with Tuchel against the first match against Leicester last season, which is he, re- like, Maduweke and Mudrik are unique wingers, right? Mudrik is best out wide. Remember this was, like, when Callum was playing a lot for us last year? Callum's gonna be best wide left. What does that mean? You probably need a fullback to get inside. The question is, how far up do you need that wing back? And because, like, with Callum and, like, Mudrik, like, they have a lot of skills, but they're not brilliant 1v1. You need that left fullback getting pretty out the pitch and inverting inside, like underlapping the winger. Lampard did that. It worked great on the right side. Matuweke could go 1v3 and dribble through everybody. That means the last thing you want to do is have a winger overlap him or underlap him, or a fullback overlap him or underlap him, and clog up more space. You want to get Matawiki the right amount of space so what does Lampard do he tells Chilwell you're going to play really high up the pitch and you're going to invert and he tells Chalaba you're not going to go high up the pitch you're going to sit right comfy in defensive midfield that's going to let Enzo get up a little bit higher when we're in the final phase and like and it lets your attackers be a little bit more direct and I think it, it worked like I don't think it's a rocket science tactical strategy and I think it probably took time to train which is why we just haven't seen it until now But it worked. I think that is likely what we need to be doing the rest of the season is that type of get one fullback in the midfield to free up Enzo to your point, Travis about Enzo I playing Enzo is like a halfback like a six that becomes a center back and build up is equivalent to playing Cruz as a halfback that became a six and build up like it's an absurd no Real Madrid would never do that to Tony Cruz. We should never do it to Enzo. Why is it happening to Enzo? Because really the only other options at this point for that role are Ruben Loftus cheek and Trevor Chalaba. And neither of them can do it. So Enzo by default is doing that. Like if you want to play a three man midfield, you you probably need somebody to do that. Enzo's incredibly gifted. Like when I saw Enzo and Fafana against Brentford, like those were the two guys. I think I messaged this in our group chat right afterwards. I was like, those guys are special. Like, Enzo is a special talent. Fafana is a special talent. They have the ability, uh, like this natural mental ability, to do their job at a level you expect a 28 or 29 year old to do it at. They're doing it at 21 and 22. And I know Fafana is probably out for the rest of the season. Uh, but, like, with Enzo, I think he's going to be stuck in this role for the rest of the season. I think it's going to kind of suck. I hope next year, I hope this summer you get a six. I don't care. Like, I see all these names. I think there's issues with all of them, whether it's Rice, Ugarte, McAllister, like, Caicedo. Like, I don't think any of these names are perfect, but they all could do that role better than Enzo can. Or at least they can do that role, and Enzo can do his role at his best level if they're in that role. I think you got to sign one of those guys. Like, you need just, I don't care who it is, I don't care the cost, you need one of them. Beyond that, like, I don't know, I, I i am, I think the young guys played with Hart yesterday, and I think, right, you bring Felix off the bench. Did Felix play great? I mean, yeah, he, he had a really good game, but he came off the bench, right? He didn't start. There was no pressure to start this guy, and you know what? He does not want to play for Simeone next year, so he's going to play hard if, he thinks, like, he's not going to get game time because he's not working hard, but he doesn't want to be at Atletico next year. Guess what? He's going to play harder. Like, and I think that's what happened. I think he came out and he was great because he was playing for next season. Not necessarily in a Chelsea shirt, but just literally anywhere other than Atletico. So, my hope is, like, Lampard keeps doing stuff like that. I mean, Ziyech came in and Ziyech did what Ziyech always does. Like, Delivered a lot of crosses. One turned into a chance that turned into a goal. Great. But, I mean, I'm Nottingham's going to be hard. I think this may be the last win of the season. I hope I'm wrong. But I feel like I, I would like for this to kind of avalanche into something good where we end the season on, like, maybe, like, one loss in our remaining games and then just wins and draws. But I'm skeptical. But, anyways, like, I was really happy about the win we haven't had a win in so long. It felt really
0: nice. Yeah. Goals and wins are nice. You know, it was, we actually got to see eight goals in the last two matches. So, you know, just one on the right side of the three one, one on the wrong side of the three ones. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, Bournemouth is one where we can take some positives. And I think Jordan, you're good at highlighting tactically where we can have some positives there, but we still have a lot of, you know, negatives or weaknesses within the, within what we're doing. And it's really just not really a, a matter of preference, but a matter of, well, necessity. We don't really have many choices to work with for key areas of the pitch, like striker, defensive midfielder. I would even argue that we don't have a very good center mid room all around. I think it's Enzo and Gallagher. And then after that, I mean, Kovacic is a whole different story because, look, um, I I don't think that many people realize, you know, he had an injury pre-World Cup, never got it surgically repaired, played the World Cup, never got surgery. So he's probably been playing at 80% or less the whole season because of injury. And that's tough on a player, but I don't think that he's my whole point is to say that there's a big drop off from Enzo and Gallagher in our midfield. And now that we're getting Conte back, that's a big positive, but it's in goal Conte. Let's please not screw this up and run him into the ground in a bunch of meaningless games, please, for the love of God, don't let that happen. Um, We've seen this story too many times. Conte wanted to quit the club. I don't know if people know that. It's well, it's been it's been pretty well reported more recently. Conte wanted to leave the club because of the way Sari, the way uh, the way Lampard and Tuchel treated him. He wanted nothing to do with us. He he kind of acted like, yeah, I'm at a club where I'm always rushed back from injury because the club prioritizes results over me as a person. And 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 really, what got Conte to re-sign a deal it or or consider renegotiating? was the treatment of Graham Potter and how he said, no, we're not going to use you until you're fully healthy. And we're going to, we're going to rotate you more. We're not going to overload you. We're not going to force you to play through minor injury. We're not, we're not doing that anymore. Um, so all I have to say, please, for the love of God, like it's so obvious when we have Conte on the pitch that he is our best player. It's so apparently clear that he is the only world-class talent that currently exists within this squad we have some guys that are maybe on the cusp of hitting that world-class peak in the next few years. We have some guys that have a lot to do to get there. We have other guys that are past it, right, on the other on the other end of being world-class. Um, and, and Jordan said it right here in the chat. He's a world-class. You can keep him at 75 minutes a week. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. For the love of God, let's not start prioritizing results in meaningless games where we're mathematically uh, exempt from relegation at this point. So – that's what I And that's why I think there's a huge drop-off after that, because Conte has to manage appropriately, and then if everybody else, there's just not a whole lot left. So that's going to be a huge area of concern. I think our center bid room, our DM room, and uh, the striker room have to be repaired pretty heavily. And whether we can do that all in one window, given, well, how we've set ourselves up for some FFP problems, if we can't, like, sell 15-ish players... We'll see. So we'll see. I, those may be your limitations. We have to continue to work around for more than one season. I don't know. But getting into more than one season, it sounds like there is a new man that's going to take over. More than likely will be Maurizio Pochettino. Um, I think it's a an interesting hire because of his history. right? I think it's what a lot of people are immediately going to like in their minds to would be Spurs. Um, and, and maybe that associates too many negatives for some. I think that that's only really a relevant factor if if Poach comes in next season and by Christmas we suck. Then I think that's when things could really turn and having Poach around could just get to be an incredibly toxic point for the club. But I also conversely think that even if that was to happen, it still says a lot more about our fans than it does about Pochettino. Right. I mean, the, the, nobody's been able to really succeed as ostensibly with this squad since January 2022. Um, and I don't think that Pochettino just comes in, waves a magic wand and everything changes. I, I think that we're in for a long haul. But I think that this is a good guy uh, to bring in, assuming he doesn't continue to watch this. If it just implodes again and we just start losing these next four, four matches uh, in, in, in spectacular fashion. You know, I don't think he's going to back out of this deal at this point. It sounds like it's pretty close to being done. But I think what I want to highlight with him, he's a good manager for us, given that we have a lot of young people who have not hit their peaks. We have some young players struggling for form. And then we have a lot, we we just really have a lot of a clear out that needs to happen. And there is this emphasis to work with more of these U18s and these academy-led you know, led prospects. And I think if that's the model, then Pochettino's great for that. I think he's great uh, to come in and do those things. So, I mean, before we before we get this one wrapped up, we can go ahead and just kind of give our just general thoughts on Pochettino as he comes in. Um and, and, and where we go. And hey, Ola, if you're just joining us, we are we're kinda we're kind of wrapping part of the episode up here and just giving some thoughts and generalities and what we think are going to be uh, the case for when Pochettino takes over expectedly sometime later this month. So I think he's a good manager because of his the profile of squad we have to work with, as well as the fact he can probably just offer a lot more stability, right? It's going to be, I would imagine, a more stable um, roles uh, on, on the match day 11, whereas with somebody like Nagelsman, you know, you might have had a lot of role changes week to week because he does have a lot of adaptability and flexibility in how he sets up. And I think with like a manager like Enrique, it just doesn't really fit the profile of players we have. And we've also already seen this problem in the past where we, 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 we can do a lot uh, and keep the ball, but it doesn't really result in a lot of goals. And I can, you know, point you to the Spanish national team to see how that's kind of been a similar problem for Enrique Um, And his time there, not to say that he's been bad at the Spanish national team, but when you watch them, there's a clearly identifiable pattern of a lot of time on the ball with very little in product. And I don't think that that's going to well suit, especially the players that we seem to now have in the team are really going to suit the way he wants to play. So I think that all things considered, this is probably logically a, a good hire is Pochettino at the same level as Nagelsmann. They're probably fairly equal um is Pochettino has a massive advantage that he's like 15 years older than Nagelsmann though so that he's got a lot more a lot more of time on his side in terms of how long he's had to achieve his level so relatively uh, Nagelsmann maybe is at a higher overall level um due to the fact of how young he is and how well he's shot up but i think that yeah overall i think Poch is a, a solid enough manager maybe brings a stability for a few years Maybe gets the best out of these young squad, out of these young players. And I'll just end by thinking, and I and I've said this with a few other people, but um, and, and talked about it in management well before Poch. But I think that Poch has shown that he's way better as a manager working with younger players and being more of a teacher manager, um, in a way that really fosters the right relationship and develops that player. I can point to, I think, the most famous example is Deli Alley. Right, since since Potch, he's basically been uh, a crash-and-burn player as far as his career goes. So I think there's a lot of reasons why he fits that teacher-manager mold better, and and I don't think that we really need to get into this elite. I I think everybody thinks about elite, 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 elite. Yeah, they're very tactically elite, but they're more accustomed to managing player egos and man management, like your Carlos, your Jose's, things like that. That's not taking away from your tactical side, but it's saying that they don't really – have the profile manager that works on teaching and developing as much as they do taking top end talent and winning right now. So I think all of these reasons, and I'm gonna stop there and let you three get your ideas on Podge. But I think he's a, that's the that's a good reason why he's a good hire. And I expect that we're just gonna have more of a top six stability with him in that year one and then to build from there each year. But I think next year would be just laying the foundations for Podge and really starting to ingrain his his ways and his methods and really developing the players that he wants in the, in the right ways. And I think that's truthfully, we may not want to hear it. That's, that's really where we are.
2: Yeah. I mean, like, so I think I've been pretty critical of the poch hire in general. Like I, to this day, believe Nagelsmann was the choice when they fired Potter. I think that's why they fired Potter when they did. I think they did interviews and something came up and it just wasn't going to be a good fit. So like, I guess credit to them for pivoting. Because I don't care what anybody says that, oh, actually, they never wanted Nogelsman Like, I'm sorry, I, I just, I don't believe that to be true. What I do believe is they saw a problem with Nogelsman and they said this isn't going to be a good foot. And they pivoted, which I think deserves credit. Whether it's right or wrong, I don't know. But it deserves credit that they, they took in new evidence and they changed their views. Uh, Travis, to your point, I prefer managers like Carlo, Mourinho, Tuchel that like have a different like a sim their their tactical plan overall is similar. It's the same, but like different intricacies or wrinkles every match. Like I just prefer I enjoy that more. However, I don't think we have the players to do that anymore. And I think that's hard for all of us to admit, but the players that are young, young players always struggle to do that. And you you usually try to surround them with veterans. And- and the veterans we have aren't versatile enough to do it. And so, yeah, listen, I don't think Thiago Silva plays a role under Poch, unless Poch plays a back three because Poch the buildup happens every time through the center backs. It, it is, but those center backs need to press high. Like there were, I think, two seasons even when Klopp coached Liverpool that Poch's Spurs had the highest defensive line height in the Premier League. Like those center backs press high. I don't think Silva has a role here. So, okay, if Silva is no more than a squad player, you're talking Fofana and Barishele, who I think are great center backs, but they're young. You're not going to ask them to have different tactical strategies every week. Like, you just can't do it. It's not going to work, and that's not a criticism of them. It's just the reality of young players. They haven't seen enough repetitions of things to be able to do that. And Poch is going to – I mean, I – think his style has a clear ceiling on it. However, our players are going to get in shape. There will be a great fitness staff, which I think we could really use. And we're going to score goals. Like, maybe not against kind of low block teams where Potch tends to struggle a little bit. Potch's teams tend to struggle. But against mid block or high press teams, like, I think we're going to score a lot of goals. I think it'll be fun. So, do I think he is a super inspiring hire? No. Do I think... He's going to win us a champions league. No. Although I I would give him better odds than some of the other names, but no, I don't. Do I think he's going to win us a premier league? Probably not. But do I think he is very clearly a guy that has shown he can be the guy before the guy, if you need him to be, I think the answer to that is yes. And so to that end, like I'm excited. I think we will perform at the level we should, which we have not this year. So I, Again, is was he my number one choice? No. is he my number two choice? No. But I think he does a job that we need done given the roster that we currently have. So I'm excited. I'm looking forward to next season. I, I assuming this match, I, I think things will change for the better.
1: Yeah. So I, I agree. I think Nogglesman was the guy and we messed it up or something happened to make it not work out. But, you know, I feel like Pochettino is kind of an uninspired choice because he just seems like a really obvious one. But if you can't get Nagelsmann, yeah, I think I would rather have Poch as the backup option, like over Enrique. Um, because he is really good at coaching players into being way better than they are. You know, we, we talk a lot about that Spurs team, but I don't think people really remember just like the change in levels some of those players had under Pochettino. And this is right after they spent tons of money on players after Gareth Bell left. And, you know, Pochettino used some of them. But, you know, for the most part, like, it was much younger players that he brought up in and showed that they could be something else. And I think Dele is the greatest example because as soon as he got away from Pochettino, it's like a completely different player. Like, you know, he's in Turkey somewhere now, basically on – Leave because his club doesn't even want to use them. He also so, got
2: benched in Turkey, he hasn't even been playing.
1: Yeah, yeah, but like under Pochettino, he was arguably England's best player
2: for a not arguably. I think he was
1: like he was yeah. England's best player, out like, yeah, he, like was. he was, he was amazing. that good. Yeah, and you know, like that's what Pochettino can bring. You know, I was looking at his seasons with Spurs, and pretty much every season they gained more points than the last. And, you know, it wasn't like they did anything, like, super unique. Like, his tactics aren't, like, Nogglesman's where they're very advanced or, like, Guardiola's where, like, there's so many moving parts. Like, they're basic. But sometimes those basics let, you know, the player's individuality stand out. I mean, Jose Mourinho basically does that all the time. And, you know, he's definitely not been afraid historically to say, like, all right, Yes, I used this player before, but right now he's not in my plans. I'm not gonna train him. Because he did that a couple times towards the end of his first tenure. And we have such a huge squad right now, like it would not be surprising to see him say, like, all right, you guys are not in my plans, so you're not gonna train with us. And you know, that's been missing a lot from us this season. I know people say, like, well, you have more options, that's not a problem. Yeah, but you're also like one on one with every individual player less. And those little things matter. Like, that. training time matters. And when each player gets so much less because you're having to deal with 30 instead of 20, like, that's a big deal. So, for those reasons, I think Pochettino will be good. Um, I do kind of agree he's going to have a ceiling to him. But I feel like that ceiling's going to be higher than the one he had at Spurs. Um, Not because he's, like, a substantially different manager, but I I do believe he's kind of, like, more wise than he used to be. Like, he's not going to, especially like at PSG, he wasn't nearly as gung-ho in big games. He was much more conservative. And, you know, if he can bring that, plus some of the ideas he had towards his time at Spurs, because, you know, he was probably the first manager that really figured out how to stall out Chelsea's, or Conte's Chelsea team. Like, if he can bring that kind of stuff back, Like, we might. I don't think we're going to be winning nearly as many Premier League titles as City, but I don't think it would be like that unusual for us to snap one up just out of nowhere in a couple of years. But yeah, I mean, obviously, I would rather have had Nogglesman, but Pochettino, I think, is a very good option as a fallback. I don't think it's going to be, you know, as exciting and it might take longer to get where we need to go, but. Yeah, you know, I think it could work out under the right circumstances.
3: Yeah, uh, about the potential acquisitions, I think uh, I, I I'll start by saying concerning the the Tottenham links. Not only do I not care; it's irrelevant because it is a he's a professional football manager who is extremely good at his job. And while I agree that he's different from other managers in the sense that he probably focuses more on player development. I think it's, if you if you focus on player development with good young players and they become what we saw them becoming, that amounts to trophies anyway. So I think that's one. I think what we need now, I should say that what we need now is someone who can coach our uh, players because we have a lot of players that even just by watching them you can tell that they need they need coaching more than they need tactical instructions and one comes before the other i agree that coaching probably should have been done at this level for players at this level it probably should have been done long ago but when you look at someone like modric you look at someone like Madweke, they are very young and they have not been in they have not been in setups where they w- were expected to deliver every week, which may be a bit dishonest because Madweke came from PSV. But as far as I know, he wasn't really a starter. Even this season, he's, for, for PSV, he played five games and only started two. So they've more or less played fringe roles, and they are quite young. I don't think Madweke played fr- fringe roles, though, because... He, in his own case, it's it's a case of he hasn't played so much. He hasn't played that much in his career anyway. Not talk of goals, assists, or, or goal involvement. So I think we have a lot of good players that, that need coaching. I think we also have a lot of good players that don't really need coaching and just need to be put in the right situation. And when I say right situation, I don't mean put X player beside him or X player beside him, just roles. A lot of our players are... Not the roles they are playing in the team don't complement each other. I mean, we looked okay against Bournemouth, but that was after getting killed in the first half. But I guess we, we, we may get to that or or not. But the the Pochettino thing is a good signing for us because, for one, he's very good with player development, and two, he's is very good tactically. I remember the the season Conte... I remember the season Conte won the league with us. He, uh, Pochettino reached eighty-six points, and I remember that season that we were on a thirteen-game win streak, and Pochettino ended our win streak by beating us at I think at White Hart Lane. But the the system he came up with was more or less mirroring our own system. But I think they had better players in some areas. Anyway, they 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 started using it about two weeks before they played us and then they played us and, and, and played us and and beat us and kept the clean sheet. So I'm not, I'm not bothered about if, 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 coaches are, our team to become as good as we think they can be, he would, we, we will steamroll well not steamroll, but we'll be comfortable in most games and we'll only need to come up with tactical plans or, only need to spend a lot of time on coming up with tactical solutions in in three or four games a, a month, or, or not a month, in maybe maybe two, three months. So I am not worried about potential at all. I think managers' ability to win trophies is as much the players they have as their coaching ability. So I would not sit here and say, oh, he didn't win much with Tottenham, which means he's not good. Other than the fact that no one has won that much with Tottenham, I okay. Yeah. Other than the fact that no one has won that much with Tottenham, I think he's, he's he the, the players he didn't really have world class players there and he did fine. So I, I think he would do he would do alright with us. I think we have the way of giving um, and play um, managers trophies anyway, even though he already has a trophy. So I think he's I think he's the right man for the job. Comfortably the right man for the job. Yeah,
0: sorry we couldn't get you more on a while next next recording. We'll uh we'll hopefully get you on from the start for that. But you know thanks for hopping on and yeah I think that yeah good conversation on poach everybody and until next time keep the blue flag flying high and hopefully we don't end with four losses this season. We get some more positives with young players.